just because you had a trauma or you had a fucked up childhood, it doesn't define you. It doesn't mean that the rest of your life has to stay on that path. You decide who you are. You get to decide where your future leads you. Your past doesn't. Your childhood doesn't. Your parents don't. The narcissist ex that you had doesn't get to define that. Nobody who fucked you over gets to define that. The people who are hating on you do not get to define that. Only you get to define where your future is going to lead you. But you have to put in the work. Welcome back, everyone, to Diary of an Empath. So once again, I just want to thank everybody who's been tuning in. For those of you that are new and maybe you've just stumbled upon this podcast or maybe somebody that you know has said, hey, I know this podcast, maybe it's something you like and maybe it's resonated with you, welcome and just thank you for supporting because it's kind of crazy to see the growth in just 11 episodes. It's been amazing and the growth has just been mind-blowing and I'm so excited to see where this podcast is going to be in the next six months to a year. I told myself that as long as I continue to enjoy doing what I'm doing, that I'm going to continue to do this podcast regardless if it's one person listening or if it's 10,000 people listening. But today I wanted to do something a little different because this podcast is called Diary of an Empath. It's all about the diary of my life, pages from my life and things that are important to me, subject matters that are important to me. But I want you guys to kind of understand who I am and a little bit of my story. So today I'm not going to educate you guys on anything. I'm not going to be going into any type of subject matter. I just want to talk a little bit about my background so you understand who I am and why I'm doing this podcast. I truly believe that we go through things in our lives to teach us lessons. Every person and every situation that we encounter, there's always a lesson for us to learn, but it's up to us to learn that lesson in order for us not to repeat those mistakes. And when I was younger, I definitely repeated a lot of mistakes. And I am who I am today, though, because of some of those things that I've been through. I grew up in Chicago, and I grew up there for the majority of my young adult life, up until I was about 14 or 15. I lived in the suburbs for a little bit. We also lived inner city. And my childhood was not something that I consider a happy childhood. I don't consider it something that was completely unhappy, but I look back and I compare it to the childhood that my daughter has, and I'm like, it's completely night and day. I grew up with just my mom. She's a single parent, and weirdly enough, I grew up with my father's father, but my dad was not in the picture. So a lot of my childhood memories, I actually don't have a lot of memories. I do remember some stuff, but there's a good part of my childhood that is missing. It's almost like fragmented pictures. And sometimes they say it's missing because of trauma or because of other things that happen, which is a possibility with me. And my dad was not in the picture. He was kind of in and out growing up. I remember being 
probably about four or five years old, I remember being with him. And the one thing that me and my dad have in common is music. I come from a line of uh, musicians on my dad's side. My grandmother was a singer. She was a really famous singer back in the 40s. And my dad is a singer and he is amazing. He has a, a great amount of talent when it comes to his musical vocals. But unfortunately, he just wasn't somebody that could be responsible with being a father. He did a lot of partying, a lot of drugs. I know there was a lot of issues between my mom and my dad, some domestic violence and other things that contributed to the reason why they didn't work out. But my dad was just never someone who was in the picture when it came to my life. But my grandfather was. Now, my grandfather was a World War II vet, really quiet guy. And when I was a kid, he was already old and he would just smoke his pipe, read his newspaper, drink old Milwaukee beers and watch TV shows. And I remember I would watch all these old shows like I Love Lucy and Dick Van Dyke and we would stay up at night and my mom would get mad because he would be making bacon in the middle of the night and I would be staying up late while he was smoking his pipe. And my mom used to get pissed because I was next to him smoking, staying up till 2 a.m., watching these old TV shows with my grandfather. But those are the memories that I cherish and that I have with him. Now, he was a quiet guy, but when he did have something to say, it, it was meaningful. And I remember learning later that my grandmother had other children before my grandfather. And she was a musician. And I think she had one or two baby daddies. I don't know the whole story, but from my understanding, she had a couple. And she left my grandfather and he ended up raising not only his son, but also her other children. So he was raising kids that weren't even his. And she would just check in on them periodically or bring groceries once a week. This is the story that I heard later on in life that she just really wasn't involved in their upbringing. And so my grandfather was just that type of guy that would help other people. So I'm not surprised that he helped my mom raise me and they bought a house together. Now, my mom was always very independent. She grew up with a traumatic childhood. Her parents were Brazilian and Middle Eastern. Her dad was from Palestine. Her mother was from Brazil. Two very different, diverse backgrounds. And when her mother passed away, she was 13, and she was sent to live with her dad, who was from a Middle Eastern Palestinian Muslim background. So I'm sure there was a lot of issues with that, a lot of trauma. I don't know all of the details, but I know that it affected her and who she is as a person. So as a mom, she always provided, but I don't ever remember my mom being very loving or very motherly in terms of what I would think of as a mother. I remember a lot of abuse and a lot of beatings and not punches to the face, but being dragged by my hair and hot sauce in my mouth when I had cuts in my mouth. I remember it just being very volatile. And I was not the greatest teen. I remember when I got to my teens, I was acting out. I was running away. I would take off for days at a time. I started experimenting with drugs. I did cocaine. I did marijuana. I did ecstasy so many times. I did acid. I've probably done everything under the sun minus shooting up heroin. And I was going to parties 
and going to raves. And this was all between the ages of 13 and 15. I was a wild child. If you guys have ever seen that girl from Dr. Phil, the Cash Me Outside girl, that was me. I was so ratchet. (laughs) But I was just going through this phase of, I don't know if I wanted to be accepted or what I was going through at that time, but I just couldn't stay in my house. I couldn't fit in. I didn't feel like I was getting the attention that I needed. And I was very promiscuous at a very young age. I remember losing my virginity at 12. And I look at my daughter, who's now 13, and I'm just like, oh my God, how did this happen to me? But where I grew up, it seemed to be the norm. All the girls that were my age, they all lost their virginities. It seemed like that was just something that was the norm with where I lived. And, you know, just trigger warning for some of you that are maybe listening now, um, some of the stuff that you may hear might be triggering to you. So if there's anything involving sex or anything to that nature that is triggering for you, I would advise you to just shut this podcast off now. This is going to be a very vulnerable side of me that I'm sharing that I haven't shared with very many people. And for me to share this with potentially thousands of people is not easy, but it's part of my journey and it's part of my story. So I feel like if I can tell my story and some of you can relate to it, that maybe it will help others on their journey to say, hey, look, this is something that I went through and this is where I'm at now. So I had a difficult teenage upbringing. I had a very hard time trying to figure out my identity and who I was, and the people that I was around did not help. I felt very unsupported and very lost. And I think I was searching for that support and that love through sex and through men. And I remember having situations with older men, men who were over 18, in their 20s, me being 13, 14. And I look back at that, asking myself, where was my mom? And where were the adults in my life? How did this happen? How does that happen to your child? And who were these men that were taking advantage of teenage girls? Because it wasn't just me. It was other people that were around me. But at the time, it felt like the norm because, again, there was other girls around me, other people around me that I grew up with that this was also happening to. At that point, I remember being about 15, maybe I was 14, and my mom told me that we were going to move to South Florida. And I think she was moving because she was, A, wanted to leave Chicago, and B, she had a guy that she was dating, maybe getting more serious with, who also lived in South Florida. And my grandfather didn't want to come with us. And I remember wanting him to come, but he just was not content on leaving. He didn't want me to leave. He didn't want my mom to leave. And I think at one point he said, leave her here with me. And my mom said no. And this wasn't the first time that my mom moved for a man because I remember in my childhood her moving more than once for a guy. And I remember two of those times I didn't go with her. And at one time we did move to Michigan and we moved back a couple months later. Now, I'm not saying that she jumped in and out of relationships, but I do remember moving more than once. And I also have the memory of 
being forced to move to Ohio with my Middle Eastern side of my family who I did not know. And my mom just dropped me off there. And I ended up living there for six months. And it was very, I don't want to say torturous or I would say eye-opening because it was just a culture shock for me. And it was probably something that I needed at the time, but I didn't know these people. So I felt very abandoned at that time. And then when I made connections with my dad again at the age of 13, my mom just dropped me off at his house and then I lived with my dad for a year. So I have these recollections of just feeling kind of abandoned when I was younger. And this just was a domino effect of some of the things that I did in my teens. So when I was 15 and we ended up moving to South Florida, that was probably the worst decision ever because honestly, South Florida was worse than Chicago for a teenage girl. I remember we moved on the beach and I think my mom thought it was a good idea to get away, but I just started hanging out with people who would hang out on the beach. There was a lot of drugs. There was a lot of drugs in that area and I got involved with a lot of the people that were hanging out there and made friends with a lot of those people. So I did a lot of experimenting with drugs a lot of experimenting with ecstasy. I did some when I was in Chicago, but nothing like how I was when I moved to South Florida. At that point, I was a freshman in high school. I was going to a new school. I felt very introverted for the first time in my life. South Broward was not the greatest school. It was very different from what I was used to, and I didn't know anybody. There was a lot of divide in that school, a lot of gangs in that school. And just not something that I felt comfortable with. And I got very demotivated. So I stopped going to school. I would sneak to the beach when my mom would go to work. I would wait for her to leave. And then I would sneak back in the house and I would go to sleep. And at that time, cell phones weren't really a thing. And the school didn't have our contact information for God knows whatever reason. So I got away with it up until the end of the year when they told my mom she's not going to pass her freshman year. And at that point, I think I was 16 and legally I could drop out of high school. And that's exactly what I did. I dropped out. So at that point, I started working. I was working at Pizza Hut. I worked my ass off. I was working five days a week. I was making the shit out of those pizzas. I was even doing manager type stuff because I was just taking initiative with with things. And it was my first real job and I was good at it. So when I turned 17, me and my mom got into a huge argument and she kicked me out of the house. And at that point, we had been having so many issues for so many years. And I just said, fuck it. I'm done. I'm leaving. I don't need this shit. And I had a boyfriend at the time. It was my first real relationship, my first love, you can call it. And we were dating at the time and I was doing a sales job at that point. I was making good money for being 17. And I moved out and I got my own little cottage. It was a cottage in the back of a house in Hollywood, Florida. Really cute place. The couple was so nice. And they said, listen, we'll give this to you for 700. Just pay your rent on time and we won't do a background check or anything like that. Now, I never had any legal history. Even though I did all the shit that I did, I never legally got in trouble. I never got arrested. I never stole from anybody. I just did shit that I shouldn't be doing at the age that I was. And I had really bad influences around me. But I never did anything that was unethical when it comes to other people. I just was never that type of person. So 
the couple that rented out the cottage from me, they were just super nice and wanted to help me out. And I lived there for almost a year. And it was at that point in my life when my boyfriend at the time, his family really started asking me those hard questions that no adults in my life had ever asked me. Like, what are you doing with your life? Where do you see your future? Where do you want to be in five, 10 years? And I didn't know how to answer these questions. It was things that I had never thought about before. And I remember his mom saying, look, if you go to college and just take a class, I will pay for your first class. I don't remember if I had told her at the time that I was a high school dropout. I think I was ashamed. So I can't remember if I had told her or not. But at that point, my boyfriend was going into the Marine Corps and he ended up going reserves. And pretty much what that means is you do one weekend out of the month, but you're pretty much doing your regular life in between that time. So when he went into the Marine Corps, I thought, this is something I can see myself doing. And I started to really consider it. And his family was pushing it too. They said, you know what, do it. If this is something you want to do, go for it. And I remember at one point, I feel like they had an intervention on me. It was his mom his, and his two sisters. And I had a tongue ring. I had a nose ring. They said, take it out. We're clipping it out of your nose. And they literally took a pair of pliers or scissors and they clipped it out of my nose and said, you're done wearing that. And I really appreciate them pushing me because I think that if they never pushed me to do some of the things that I did, I probably wouldn't be where I'm at now. And I had to study for the ASVAB, which is the entry test to get into the Marine Corps. And the first time I took the test, I didn't do that well. And his sister studied with me. She tutored me for a month so I could pass the ASVAB and get in. And I did. And because I didn't have a high school education, the Marine Corps said, you have to have a GED. Well, I didn't have that either. So they said, okay. We'll give you a waiver, but you have to pass the ASVAB and get this score. And you have to take at least one year of college level courses to be considered equivalent to high school level. So I'm like, damn, now I finally passed the ASVAB, but now I have to go to college for a year. So I go to the local community college and I enroll. Because I didn't have any high school transcripts, I technically couldn't be degree seeking, but I can still take courses. And I told the dean, listen, I'm trying to get into the Marines. I just need a year. And she said, typically, we don't let that happen more than one semester. But because you're doing this, if you place at college level on the entrance exam, I will let you stay, but you're going to have to pay out of pocket. So now I have another hoop that I have to get over. So I studied and I did pass the entrance level exam and I placed at college level for all my courses and I had to pay out of pocket for a year to go into the Marine Corps just to have all of those college courses and I did it. So I was a waitress by day and I went to school at night, sometimes during the day and I did that for almost a year. So when I finally hit my year, And I did all my college courses that I needed. I had the ASVAB score that I needed. I finally went into the Marine Corps and left for boot camp. However, I did not go reserves. I went active duty. And so obviously that relationship ended. It didn't work out. 
And I was 19 at the time, went into the Marines as a baby, very hard-headed, extremely stubborn. And of course, I had issues in boot camp and my drill instructors tore my ass up every single day. It got to the point that I would just run onto the quarter deck for them to do whatever they were going to do to me because I already knew my name was going to be called. (laughs) And my senior drill instructor, we're actually friends now. It's crazy because all these years later and now we're actually friends and she might even be listening, but she was a big role model for me and she gave me hell, but I knew that she meant well and I knew I needed guidance. And um And thank God that I had that because it put me on the path that I needed to be put on. So when I was in the Marine Corps, I met my daughter's father, my ex-husband. And so that relationship lasted quite a few years for about six years. And in the Marines, I look back and I am so glad that I did it. However, it wasn't something that was meant for me. My master gunnery sergeant, who I'm still friends with today, more of a mentor to me now, And he told me, I'll never forget this. He said, Kaminga, that's my maiden name, by the way. He said, Kaminga, you would make a great staff NCO, but you need to keep your mouth shut because it's going to get you in trouble. You're not a staff NCO, so you just need to keep your mouth shut (laughs) because I always felt like I had to stick up for people. I always felt like I had to stick up for myself. Or if I saw someone else who didn't deserve what was happening to them, I felt like I had to speak up for them. And now I understand why I'm like that. But at the time, especially in the military, it's just something that you can't do. You have to stay in line with what you're supposed to do with your rank, with whatever's going on, and you have to keep your mouth shut sometimes. And I had a really hard time doing that. And that's just something that doesn't fly well in the Marine Corps. And I was going through a very toxic situation. I was with my ex-husband. We were not married at the time, but I ended up getting pregnant more than once. I had two miscarriages and one potential miscarriage that I wasn't sure if it was or not. So three potential pregnancies before my daughters. And that was devastating for me. And I had my daughter, luckily, but the person that I was with at the time, he was still legally married. And That It's a very, I look back at it and it's something that I'm not proud of. It's something I'm sure he's not proud of, but it happened and I've made my amends. I've even spoken to the ex-wife and she's forgiven him. She's forgiven me. It's something that's not uncommon in the military either. A lot of people are having these like triangular affairs. I think people are really young and make stupid decisions. You get these people who are 19, 20, 21 getting married and just haven't learned lessons and haven't lived their lives. So it's not uncommon to see stuff like that, not that it makes it right or wrong, but it was a really difficult situation and we ended up getting married. I made that decision and we ended up moving to Florida. We both got out of the Marine Corps And that marriage just didn't work out. We had a very toxic relationship. And although we did care for each other at one point, we just weren't good together as a couple. And we struggled throughout the years, but we're we're in a better place now. But I think that took years of forgiveness. It took maturity. It took for us to see that there's someone more important than ourselves, which was our daughter. 
So we're in a good space now, but it took a long time. And at the time, it was extremely toxic and it just was not a good marriage. And so we ended up getting divorced. I really had to figure out who I was and what my identity was because there was a lot of trauma there. There was a lot of trauma that I still wasn't dealing with even from my childhood. I had to decide, do I put my school on hold or do I finish, pick up the pieces and keep moving? So I decided I was going to continue with school, even though I knew financially it was going to be hard and I didn't even have a plan. I had no idea how I was going to keep going, but I had already gotten accepted into UCF. I had a plan and I needed to finish what I was doing. I also started getting into working out and really working out just gave me purpose. Getting into the bodybuilding field and just feeling like I was doing something again gave me purpose because coming out of the military, you don't always feel like you have purpose because you're so used to doing things when you're told to do them. Now, all of a sudden you get out and you have to figure things out on your own. You have to make your own path instead of someone telling you when you're going to wake up, what you're going to do, what the mission is or what your job is. Now, for the first time, you have to figure that out on your own. So I really had to figure out who I was and bodybuilding really gave me purpose. It gave me a routine. It gave me structure. And I loved the changes that I saw. I love how empowered it made me feel. And I love how strong it made me feel. It literally changed my life. It made me feel like a new woman. Also, being a mom really changes your mindset when it comes to the decisions that you make in your life. And now for the first time, I have someone I have to think about. I have someone that I have to make decisions for and think about their future. It's not just my future anymore. Now I have a kid. I'm a mom. And I think my daughter was maybe two at the time. And so I ended up staying at UCF and I got into the grad program and I graduated with my master's. And that was a really big accomplishment. I was in a relationship at the time that didn't work out. I was completely heartbroken and he had his own issues that he was dealing with, bipolar disorder and the ups and downs with that. So it worked out for the best, but I was devastated from that breakup, devastated. It took me so long to heal from that relationship. I thought I was never going to heal from that breakup. It took me at least two years to come back from that relationship because I was just so in love with that man. But it was toxic and it was not feasible for my future. He served a purpose during that time, though, because I learned so many lessons from that relationship and I can see it now. But at the time when I was going through the heartbreak, when I was going through everything in that relationship. I couldn't see why I was going through what I was going through. But now I look back hindsight and I'm so thankful and so grateful because had I have not gone through some of the trials and the traumas in my life, I wouldn't be where I'm at now. And I would challenge you listening, all of you listening, ask yourself, if I hadn't have gone through the trials and the tribulations, would I be where I'm at now? Do you regret anything? Because I know for me, as bad as some of the traumas were for me, I don't regret any of them. Even my worst traumas, when I was 15, I was raped. And it wasn't by someone that I knew. I had gone out to a nightclub 
a club where people who are 21 and older are at. And I would get into these clubs. Don't ask me how. I just would always get in. And I ended up getting really intoxicated and leaving with people that I shouldn't have left with. And the one person who was protecting me all night long from other people saying, no, leave her alone. She's, she's drunk. She's drunk was the person who raped me. We went to the police, my mom and myself. And I remember the police officers. There was a lot of things I don't remember. But the one thing that stands out is when the police officers said, the woman police officer said, open the door. She stinks. I'll never, ever forget those words. Even the rape doesn't make me cry. But those words were almost more traumatic than the rape itself. And they didn't believe me. They just thought I was some drunk girl who didn't want to go home, so she made up a rape story. And I remember my mom finding a notebook with names written on the notebook And she said, these are probably all the guys you fucked. And that's why you're not crying about your rape, because it probably doesn't even phase you. I remember that part, too. So I think back to all the trauma that I've had. But believe it or not, I don't regret any of it. I'm glad that all this happened to me. Despite how bad it was, I'm glad it happened because it has turned me into the person that I am today. And I know that I'm on this journey to help others for a reason. Had I have not gone through the things that I've been through in my past, I would not be the person I am today. I used to tell all my clients, especially when I worked in the prison system, you don't always see the full picture when you meet somebody. You can judge somebody, but you never know their history. You never know their past and you never know what led them to the journey that they're on now, to be the person that they are in that moment. So when I got out of school and finally graduated, I started working in the prison system. I thought it was going to be a great, amazing job. And it was great money. I was unlicensed because it takes us two years to get licensed when you graduate. And it was an amazing startup job. I was making good money. I was in the military. I can handle working in a prison. And I was working with really, really crazy type of offenders. I was working with people who had all types of criminal history in the program that we were at. We had inmates that were from the high security penitentiary, medium and low, and I was working in a federal prison. And so I didn't end up working there for that long. About six months into it, I had an inmate attempt to rape me. And luckily he did not succeed, but it pulled a lot of triggers for me. And it was something that I just could not continue to face every single day. I could not work in that type of toxic environment. The people that I worked with were toxic. The environment was toxic. And I even had inmates tell me, you're too good for this place. But again, I learned some really, really great lessons. I learned that not every inmate is bad. I learned that the justice system is really fucked up. Not everybody deserves the sentence that they got. Not everybody in there had a fair trial. And some people who deserved a lot more time didn't get that time, maybe because of the color of their skin or other factors based off of race, socioeconomic status, 
or other variables. I learned that not everybody who is around you wants to see you do good. And I learned how strong I could be. And I learned to get my ass out of that type of place because I knew where I didn't want to work. So I ended up leaving there after about nine or 10 months. I couldn't do it anymore. And I worked a few different places after that. And eventually I landed where I'm at now working with veterans full time, which is great. I've been doing it for five years working where I'm working now. I love helping vets because it's something that speaks near and dear to me. But when I had my spiritual awakening about two years ago, it opened up a whole new world for me. I just had a light bulb that just clicked. And I'm like, oh my God, this is who I am. This is my purpose. And this is what I'm meant to do. And it changed my life forever. Everything made sense. The reasons why I've always been sensitive The reason why I've always been so emotional because I wasn't feeling just my feelings. I was feeling the feelings of other people. And some people ask me, well, what made you have a spiritual awakening? And I I can't answer that. I don't know. There wasn't a singular event that made me have a spiritual awakening. I just had this urge to get a reading from someone. And I had this reading and it just was like, oh my God, this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to read for others. And I bought some tarot cards and I started reading for others immediately. And I opened up a business in two weeks. I kept waiting for someone to tell me I'm wrong. Like, am I faking this? Am I a scam? Like, am I completely out of my mind? But everybody would say, you're spot on, you're spot on, you're spot on. And I kept waiting for someone to tell me I was wrong, but it just felt so right. I couldn't ignore the pull and I couldn't ignore the call. And after that, everything just started to make sense. Spirituality started to make sense. Energy started to make sense. I started feeling things and feeling energy. I started hearing frequencies. I started feeling energy when I would do my readings. I understood why everybody spends so much fucking money on crystals. I'm like, oh, this is why. Now I get it. (laughs) Like, this is why everybody spends so much money. I started realizing I had these like really in tune psychic abilities when it came to men. Oh my God, I've always been in tune with that. And for some reason, I always just would say like, oh, I'm just overthinking. I'm overthinking. And really what it was is it was my intuition fighting my ego, the ego that wants a logical explanation that needs the proof. But nine times out of 10, my intuition was always right. I was having precognition of events, especially when it came to men, and I still do to this day, and and now it's even stronger. But my point is that my spiritual awakening, it changed my life. And all of a sudden, I open up a business. My business is successful. Then I had this push to do the podcast. I have stuff to say. I need to help more people. I need to get the word out. How can I reach others? I want to reach others with my readings. But how can I reach others on a more broad level? And I'm like, I got to do a podcast. And similar to my spiritual awakening, it happened very quickly. This was a seed. And within a month, I had it up and running. And now it's in the top 250 globally, which is crazy. It's been growing so fast. And it's because of everyone like you that's supporting, that's rating, that's reviewing. 
that is resonating with what I'm saying because you're probably going through a lot of the same things. Some of the things that I'm saying is reaching you. And it may not reach everyone, but even if it reaches just one person, I know that I'm doing the right thing. And this intrinsically motivates me. Now, if you didn't listen to my episode on burnout, I talked about the difference between intrinsic motivation and extrinsic motivation. And intrinsic motivation is when you get that real deep, inert feeling to do something, and that's what drives you. That's what motivates you. It's not work because you want to do it. But when you're extrinsically motivated, when you have to go to that nine to five job because you have to pay the bills, that's the reason why you're doing it. You're not going to have that same drive, that same motivation because you're, you're doing it for extrinsic reasons. You're not doing it for intrinsic reasons. When you do something because of intrinsic motivation, you are going to set yourself up for success. And that's where I'm at right now. I'm, I'm doing things that intrinsically motivate me. I'm doing things that give me purpose and I'm doing things that make me happy. That's the road and that's the path that I'm trying to pay for myself. And that is what I encourage each and every one of you to do. I want all of you to succeed, but I want you guys to make money doing the things that you love. I want you all to be fulfilled, to be motivated by your purpose, to find your purpose. Because just because you had a trauma or you had a fucked up childhood, it doesn't define you. It doesn't mean that the rest of your life has to stay on that path. You decide who you are. You get to decide where your future leads you. Your past doesn't. Your childhood doesn't. Your parents don't. The narcissist ex that you had doesn't get to define that. Nobody who fucked you over gets to define that. The people who are hating on you do not get to define that. Only you get to define where your future is going to lead you. But you have to put in the work. You have to decide, am I going to let this shit bring me down? Or am I going to let this shit make me stronger and motivate me? Because let me tell you something. There is nothing like motivation when you have some haters. I love it when people hate or I love it when people say, oh, I don't have the energy to listen to your podcast or I don't have the energy to do this. I love it when people hate on me because it motivates me to do better. I have this weird thing where I just love proving people wrong by my success. You can fuck me over and the way that I get my revenge, which I'm not thinking about revenge all day, but the best revenge is success. But don't do it for them. Do it for you. But if that's what motivates you and that's your drive, hey, more power to you. I wanted to let you guys hear my story just so you can have a better understanding of who I am and where I came from and how I got to where I'm at now. So if there's anyone listening who went through some trauma, who's been through some shit, I want you to know that you can still make an amazing future for yourself. I turned my life around completely. I beat the odds. I am not supposed to be where I'm at today. I should not be where I'm at today, but I am. And I encourage all of you to look to the future and know that your past does not define you. Only you do. 
So thank you so much for listening. If you made it this far, I'm just humbled that you stuck around to listen to my story. It really, really means a lot to me. And if you are enjoying the podcast, please rate and review. If you're listening on Apple, please subscribe on any other network because it helps the podcast grow. Please share this with anyone who you think will get something out of this. If there's another episode that you feel like, hey, I have a friend who went through this, let me send it to her, please. The more people that listen, I just want to help as many people as I can. So I'm so humbled. I thank all of you. And until next time, see you on the next episode of Diary of an Empath.